welcome to the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Duraev here with my co-host, Nick Braccia. We're going to get into UFC 242 and all the goodies that that had to offer. Khabib Nurmagomedov successfully defending his lightweight championship against Dustin Poirier in the main event. Dominant fashion, Nick. Uh, did you get to catch that card? Before we get to important things like MMA, I think our, uh, our audience needs to hear and to congratulate you on the birth of your daughter, Avery Quinn. Thank you, Nick. We are super excited. She is absolutely perfect. And I don't know if it's just bias talking. She is just awesome. Like, makes me really happy. Makes me excited to get out of bed and get to her and and, and to put her to bed at night. She's just absolutely perfect, man. Thank you, Nick. Uh, You've you've been experiencing fatherhood to an adorable little girl for several years now. So you're a bit ahead of me on on this thing. I might have to call you for advice once in a while. All Looking I know is that, dude. I'm sure she has your heart commurred already. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it, Nick. Uh, actually, so I, I, I told Sorry. myself, I told myself that wasn't going to happen, Nick. And the moment I saw her, I was just like, "Yep, she has me wrapped awesome. around her finger." I am all. Yep. Just, just um, wait. It is. It is <laughs> awesome, man, for sure. So I was the one who had a kid the Friday before last, and and it was you who couldn't quite make it to record the last episode, Nick. Uh, we missed the preview. <laughs> UFC 242, but you know, I understand it's tiring uh, not being in the labor room for a couple of days straight and then spending a couple of days in the hospital and then staying up all night with a newborn, Nick. I understand. I got, no, I got, you know, I'm, I'm nurturing my own baby right now, writing a book and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's like everything, everything caught up with me. A little I, know, bit. Man. I, I know, so. I know you're, you're actually working on some big things and this is kind of a particularly busy time in your life, but we still look forward to getting these episodes up for you guys. Uh, yes. We're going to talk about UFC 242. We're also going to preview uh, this next week's UFC Fight Night in which Donald Cerrone puts up his veteran contender badass title on the line against the surging Justin Gaethje, who's, who's looked really good coming off a couple of spectacular victories of late, uh, specifically that first-round knockout win over Edson Barboza, that first-round knockout win over James Vick after experiencing his first two losses against Dustin Poirier and Nene Alvarez. We're going to get into all that, but first, got to talk about Mr. Nurmagomedov. we got to talk Khabib time, Nick. My man, Khabib. Uh, well, first of all, i got to mention to you, I know you're using that the, the badass belt metaphorically, but you may have heard, but for um, UFC 244, in Madison Square Garden, which we, who knows, maybe you and I will get there. They're making a belt for the baddest motherfucker on the planet, so it'll be a kind of unofficial official title constructed for Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal. And I read today that the winner of the bout will have the belt placed around their waist by no other than Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I am definitely into that, Nick. I'm not sure that Dwayne The Rock Johnson necessarily is a badass motherfucker but he's a pretty pretty badass man um he's a very nice fella. i think he's pretty cool he is very cool oh i'm a, I'm a fan of the rocks i just don't know if he's badass yeah. motherfucker worthy but i'll take well, it I, um, I think he wants he, he wants the honor of placing the badass motherfucker belt around their waist i don't think he's claiming to be a badass motherfucker. no no, no that, that, that is fair but you would think it would be some like old grizzled veteran who's known for putting on wars like chris lytle maybe uh, to to award that belt, I know that would have a lot less notoriety and, and get a lot less media attention. But I yeah, do that would get so a lot of pay, a lot of extra pay per views there, Stan, with your idea <laughs> to put. Your... <laughs> so what if nobody knows who Chris Lytle is? Nick, he was a goddamn legend, and at least how exciting 
how just nonstop wars of attrition his fights ended up being. So yeah, we're we're gonna get into all of that stuff. Khabib Nurmagomedov dominated Dustin Poirier. Nick, he did it from pillar to post, and besides a couple of moments, once where Poirier actually rocked uh, Khabib, I think in the second round, and then yeah, that, a uh, little bit rocked. Rocked might be strong. I, I think he but I think he buzzed him and got him on his bike. I don't know if I. Yeah, that, that, that's what I would constitute as uh, as as rocking, give or take. I mean, it, it's uh, it's all within that margin. But yeah, Khabib talked about it afterwards how he was hurt by that first shot, um, and then and then that guillotine, man, that was that I don't understand. Oh. I still I don't. I mean, Poirier has said that he wishes he had um, gone to full guard instead of half guard, which left space for uh, um, for Khabib to turn. Um, I don't know. I mean, Khabib said it was close. I don't think he was just being polite. In all the replays from the angle, I still don't understand what happened. I don't know how Khabib got out of it. I mean, uh, the the way, like, one of the easier way, one of the kind of last resort ways to get out of a guillotine choke if it's really locked in and you literally have a couple of seconds to do something is to literally roll onto your back with your opponent kind of pulling your head down toward the mat. You have momentum going in that direction. Your opponent almost kind of helps you do it if you go for it. And honestly, that happens whether you're in the guillotine. It happens when you're in half guard. I, I actually think one of the major reasons that that guillotine was so tight is because he was in half guard. That half guard allowed Dustin Poirier to get that elbow very deep under uh, Khabib's chin. And, and that really was the key to the choke. So I disagree with him. I actually think it would have been a less deep choke had he had full guard. He wouldn't have had the same angle. I'm a big fan of that half guard guillotine, actually. When you have that one leg hooked, you can get a really good angle. If you get that outside leg all the way to the other side of your opponent's lat, uh, I think Dustin Poirier's left leg if it would have gone all the way to the other side of uh, Khabib's hip. That would have been a great position for him, and he would have had it locked in pretty tight. Unfortunately, Khabib did what he had to do to get out. He actually said in the post-fight press conference that the first one was legitimately very, very deep, and the second one he kind of played into, hoping that Dustin, Dustin would uh, tire his arms out. In a work, Nick, I think maybe being so close to the finish and them both realizing it and then Dustin losing that, I think maybe that was enough of a kind of mental hindrance for him to oh, definitely. to take advantage in that one moment. It wasn't like Connor who literally just turned over. He saw the fight end when he, I mean, it was, yeah. yeah Connor literally gave up the fight by giving away that guillotine choke. Like he wasn't actually, he didn't need to be finished there. Uh, Poirier got caught off guard. Unfortunately, he didn't have his guard up at that very moment, and Khabib exploded, put his arms into position, and choked him out. Brilliant performance by Khabib uh, against, in my opinion, the absolute best win of his career. Somebody that's beaten Max Holloway, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis. Um, the list goes on and on. The, the guy is legitimately top, top level. And Khabib, uh, again, this is his biggest victory. Prior to that, I think Rafael Dos Santos is probably his biggest win. So very impressive, not only that he was able to win this fight, and I expected him to win uh, with some troubles. I expected that third round to go rougher for Khabib because that's usually the round he takes off. But, yeah, Dustin, I mean, he, he did what he does standing up. He just could not possibly defend that takedown. And going back to the corner after that first round, he told his corner, like, there's no space. Like, it's so tight. And And I think, you know, there was a little bit of a mental kind of slow wind down. Um, maybe his corner could have done yeah. a little more to anticipate. After the second round, he said, I can't keep this guy off me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, just saying that out loud, Nick gives it so much power, man. Like you truly believe it. Once you said it out loud, especially if you're coaches. Oh, the sound out, he sounded absolutely helpless. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You kind of gave in mentally and, and, and there, and that's what it took. Um, we haven't seen Poria hasn't really fought that level of grappler before period. I mean, very few people have that haven't fought Khabib, uh, but Eddie Alvarez was able to take him down. And that was one of the bigger kind of factors that made me uh, confident that Khabib was going to be able to win the fight. I expected him to win a decision in which Poirier takes a round, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, you know, half of us, half of another round, but Khabib essentially dominated outside of those two moments, especially specifically that Guy team. Um, he was in complete control and man, he, he really just made him look like a mid-level fighter, even though Poirier is elite. Yeah. So in the, in the co-main event, um, Felder Barbosa, what, how did you score that? Because there's still a lot of, uh, controversy there. Um, I would probably, I mean, look, it is extremely close this fight. Um, I would say that Felder was moving forward and Barboza was moving backward, and that's often often kind of the deciding factor when you have one guy literally taking three or four seconds every minute or so to just jog away from his opponent as his opponent uh, marches forward toward him. It's not a good look, and I think maybe that may have been the tiny bit of a difference. Uh, it was weird how the, the judges, one judge scored at 30-27 for Felder, one judge scored at 30-27 for Barboza, and the other... Yeah. They think, both sound like impossible scores. And then the other had a 29-28, Felder. I totally agree. But it was clear that each guy had at least one round. And I think it was that second round that could have gone either way. Uh, yeah, definitely the second round that could have gone either way. And it seemed like Felder kind of started to take over in the middle of that round. Look, it was a close decision. It could have gone either way. I think this is one of those fights where, you know, being on the right side of this thing, it's not like it was a screw job, right? You give one guy a little bit more credit and it comes through for you. Uh, you and I both had Felder here and, and, and we both got it right. I'm not saying it was dominant. And I would not complain at all if Barboza had walked away with that decision. He's just so, so tough. He's got, I think, a very good fight IQ. I was happy to see Felder. Uh, I was happy to see Felder win. I, I mean, I like both guys. Me too. Yeah, one of the things that uh, made me give it to uh, give the edge to Felder before the fight is the fact that he got hit with a horrific spinning heel kick to the junk, Nick, in the very first minute or two of their first fight, of his first fight with Barboza. And he still ended up winning the second round. It was a horrible kick, Nick. Apparently, he bled for weeks afterward. Uh, he had bleeding in, in his pee for weeks following. And um, he just kind of came back after maybe 20 or 30 seconds off. So Felder was affected to some extent. But Barboza, man, he, he still looked good here. He still looked fast as hell, especially the first half of the fight. The pressure eventually gets to him. And I think in a five-round fight, it's pretty clear that Felder would have had a clear edge, judging by the momentum. But Barboza still looked good early on. What else? Uh, what else on the card? Um, in Islam Makachev basically kind of dominated Davi Ramos. Davi Ramos, who's yeah. a killer on his own right, uh, was ten and two leading into this fight with a very successful UFC career. Makachev was able to just out grapple him, stay on top. He, you know, was able to keep him at enough of a distance on the feet, and Makachev was pretty decent there, not very high level. Uh, and yeah, Makachev did his thing. He's the top guy. It's unfortunate that he's so close with Khabib Nurmagomedov. In fact, when he was asked after the fight at the press conference, when he was asked what's next for him or whether he would like to vie for the title, he said, yeah, as soon as Khabib is retired, I look forward to it. Um, that kind of sucks, right? Like the guy is not necessarily big enough for 170 and he's not going to make 145. So he's going to have to play second or third fiddle to Khabib for a long well, time. For now, I, that said, I, I don't think that Khabib wants to fight at 170. I, I, I really only see two fights left for Khabib, maybe three. I, you know, we we have Tony. If he beats Tony, probably Gagey, depending on what happens, and maybe a rematch with Connor, um, which I don't really want to see. I could see Khabib retiring after after two more fights, uh, mostly because 
once he cleans up the division, I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to hang around. And I don't see him going up to 170. It's hard to disagree with that. He actually made it very clear that he has no interest in moving up a weight class. He has no interest yeah, in catch or fights. Down, right. Yeah, even for the GSP fight, which he would make a lot of money in, Nick, he made it very clear that he's only willing to fight him at 155, even though GSP has never made 155. And Khabib is a pretty big lightweight. So, yeah, he has, he has no interest, I think, uh, I think, in moving weight classes. If he retires in a couple of years... Certainly gives Makachev the the window, although he is in the prime of his career, I think now. And honestly, like Makachev needs to fight some truly top flight talent before we decide. Oh that he's, yeah, um, he's, eligible he's, for the title shot. Yeah, he's two or three fights away at least. I agree. Uh, Curtis Blades dominated Shamil. Oh Brooks. yeah, just murder smash. Yeah, he was uh, he was in one of my parlays. It was actually a really good betting event for me, Nick. Um, and, well, actually, last week I had a big loss, Nick. Uh, last week I had one hundred eight dollars in losses. But this week definitely made up for it. I'm a believer in Curtis Blades against almost any heavyweight. He's got the skill of a 170 pounder, the chin of probably a 170 pounder, but the size and, and the and the and the strength and explosiveness of a heavyweight. So he's going to be give a lot of problems to a lot of guys that are not named Francis Sanganu in that division. Diego Ferreira, uh, Nick, this was another good pick of mine. I was uh, this was an uber close fight on paper in my opinion, even though Maribek Tysimov was a pretty decent sized favorite. Diego Ferreira just outbusied him, man. He's just like a relentless offense guy. And Taisumov is a very low-output, explosive when he does, a very low-output fighter who does kind of get tired in a busy fight toward the end, which is why I favored Diego Ferreira. I expected him to be able to survive that first round, which is exactly what he did. He had to survive it, not just not just kind of win it. And then he won the second and third rounds. Looked really good, man. An excellent performance. He, by the way, is becoming the Dagestani killer. Between this win over Merbek Taisumov and his last win over Rustam Kabilov, he was the big underdog of both fights, Nick. Came through once again. Uh, and I think in both cases, it was an enemy territory. So really impressive stuff by Diego Ferreira. I know who I'm, I know who I'm calling if a bear's in my yard. You think Diego Ferreira is a bear? I, I don't know. I, I would definitely go with Khabib still. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know. If you can beat, if you can beat Dagestani fighters and Dagestani fighters can beat bears, who do you want? I actually think it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors, where rock can beat scissors, but it can't beat paper, even though scissors, which is beaten by rock, can beat paper. Do you see what I'm saying? So no, I, I, that, no I, I get it. Next time I see you, we will play Bear, Fahea, Dagestani. I'm in. That sounds about right. I, I'm into it, Nick. This could really be a thing. Like This could be the MMA thing. If Diego Ferrer just keeps beating Dagestanis, this would be the motherfucking ideal. I'm a fan of this. Uh, I really believe in the guy, and I look forward to seeing him compete. He's not uber athletic or uber fast, but he has crazy output, constant pressure, always, always with offense. He's dangerous on the feet and on the ground. Really solid dude. Joanne Calderwood beat Andre Lee in a close decision. Yeah, I like this fight. This is good. It was the one that got me worried about the event with the heat there because, man, you could see, I mean, you could see Calderwood kind of like in the second, maybe towards the end of the second round really um, double down and take a deep breath. And around the same time, you saw, I think, to some extent, the heat, uh, the humidity, everything there. Just I felt like Lee was sapped. And I did feel like the um, um, the venue had something had something to do with that. They for two very well conditioned uh, flyweight women. I felt like in the third round, it seemed like they were in the seventh round to me. Yeah, not, neither of them come from uh, from you know super humid climates uh, where it's over 100 degrees in the training room. Calderwood trains with I think Fortis at this point in Las Vegas. Andrea Lee from Louisiana, she, not a good night uh, for Louisiana. Calderwood, tra- Calderwood trains with Syndicate. Uh, Syndicate, that's right. Is that is that Vegas? 
Yeah, they're in Vegas. Yeah. It's John, John Wood right. and uh, that's actually Fortis and Syndicate and and one other team. Uh, I keep I keep mixing them up because they're kind of the new kids on the block who are really doing well with some uber athletic fighters and a couple of old veterans who are improving under them, such as Joanne Calderwood. Yeah, I keep mixing those teams up. Um, Zubaira Tohugov uh, and Leron Murphy went to a draw. Leron Murphy took this fight on short notice. He was a huge underdog, Nick, and. He deserved the fight, in my opinion. He may have been getting taken down, but he did all the damage. At the end of that third round, Tahugov took him down and spent about a minute getting elbowed in the head from top position. I thought uh, I thought Leon Murphy deserved it. He was happy to get a draw, and I think considering he was a huge underdog on short notice in Saudi Arabia, uh, I'm sorry, the UAE of all places, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Leon Murphy compete with a full training camp. Um, I don't know that uh, I don't know that we need to mention a whole lot else here. Muslim Salikov knocked out Nordin Talib. That was impressive. Ooh. Yeah, that was impressive. And what about the um, oh my god, the Finnish fighter that got face planted? Oh yeah, uh, Azatar, I believe uh, beat up Timu Pakelin. I'm not a believer in Timu. He's literally he's very mediocre when it comes to his overall skill and technique. He's a finisher, finisher get finished kind of guy. But yeah, he just got blasted uh, by, by the blasted. much blasted. Yeah, that was a right. That was a right hand of doom. It was a literal face plan. It's about as spectacular a knockout as one could ask for in a UFC debut. I mean, it was it was fucking phenomenal. Yeah, it was it was a heavy, hard overhand right and uh, I zoom it without any. It just hit. It hit right on the dot. Yeah, agreed. Uh, a very, a very clean, nasty knockout. Just Timo just landed face first, completely out before he hit the floor. Uh, Bilal Muhammad picked up a pretty freaking awesome win over Takashi Sato, who uh, was coming off a successful USC debut against Ben Saunders. Bilal Muhammad, by the way, looked super in shape. Uh, him and yeah. Paul Thunder and the team apparently are doing a new strength and conditioning program. And Nick, you can tell, like these guys didn't get tired. Despite the fact that everybody else seemed to be getting tired toward the end of the third round, these guys were still solid. They they looked as ripped as they've ever looked. So whatever they're doing, keep it up. Uh, just please keep it above level, just over the counter shit if possible. Is I'll that make sure different? I'll pass on the message. Fair enough, um, uh, Nick. I do have to mention I am now officially seven events over you uh, since the event from the week before last. We didn't end up picking for USC two forty two. You and I, but well, we uh, tied. We picked two fights, so let's let's be honest. We both we both picked Khabib and Felder. Oh sure, you want sure you want to call? I mean, I, I have a list of my picks. Okay, you're seven up on me now. I am seven up on you as the. So I've, since I've lost like nine in a row. Not nine in a row. I think you had a win, one win, and a couple of draws in there. Yeah, I, I've I've been on a roll, motherfucker. It's good to be king, Nick. Have I ever mentioned that before? Yeah, yeah, you have. Have I talked about my modesty and how, despite just like I have to fight myself to to be honest with my success and just how truly, truly elite I am at picking mixed martial arts fights and mixed martial arts betting? That have you I talked what? about that? You're before? still you're still up, but I want to remind you that I was still ahead for a larger percentage of shows. Uh, no, I don't, I mean, I don't think, you've been six ahead of me, I think, at one point, and then I just, like... Oh, no, 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 I didn't say I got more ahead of you, I said yeah. I was ahead for more, or a larger percentage of shows. Sure, and that's what but, counts, Nick, it's not the total score, it's, it's who was ahead for the larger percentage, fair enough, I, I, I can... But, I, but I, I certainly have a lot of coming back to do, and I'm hopeful it can begin this week. You gotta be impressed with my modesty, though, right? It's super annoying. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> We're going to take a break, come back, talk about all the good stuff on this week's UFC Fight Night. Cerrone and Gaethje headlining. I mean, this is going to be a goddamn barn burner, Nick. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. 
And we are back to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Going to talk about UFC and ESPN Plus 16, Cowboy versus Gaethje Nick. An exciting goddamn main event. A bunch of names splattered throughout here. A bunch of prospects. Definitely some good stuff to look forward to. Especially coming off of UFC 242, which was fairly star-studded in its own ways. Donald Cerrone and Justin Gaethje Nick. Man, exciting goddamn matchup on paper, right? We've got the veteran and Cerrone, who's really looked made a lot of these young prospects look foolish at times in recent wins. It's really the, the really super experienced veterans that have historically given him trouble. Uh, although Darren Till is probably the only exception to that going up here against Justin Gaethje, who after kind of stumbling a little bit against Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez, these grizzled veterans, he got some pretty big first round knockout victories over James Vick and Edson Barboza. Nick, how do you handicap this matchup, man? It's a, it's going to be exciting as hell, but who wins? It's super, super exciting. It's really a battle of two veterans, but Gage, he's Gage is 30, so he's no spring chicken. He's got a 20 and 2 record. Cerrone 36 and 12. There's two. This I think this could have been a pick 'em, um, maybe a couple of years ago, or maybe if uh, Cerrone would, wasn't coming off of a fight in the not so distant past where he took a lot of damage, probably more damage than he's taken in all but you know two or three of his of his professional fights in his bout against El Kukui, uh, Tony Ferguson. Um, so whereas the, the Cerrone of, of an earlier age or even the Cerrone of 18 months ago, maybe um, I pick him, but I think that Justin Gagey's uh, pressure, I think, you know, I also think that um, Cerrone doesn't have uh, quite the power in his hands that Poirier or Eddie Alvarez has, in in my um, in my opinion, um, so Gagey's high risk, high reward uh, approach that um, was a little more dangerous against fighters with more dynamite in their hands. I don't think he's at in uh, at great risk um, against Roney of of getting uh, you know getting clipped um, and badly hurt by by one shot. I believe Gagey will land. Um, the brutal power shots uh, before Cerrone does. And I think he's going to knock him out in the first or second round. Wow, you think he's just going to smoke the guy? Um, yeah, look, I think Gaethje's losses, they show us a path here for Cerrone. He's not necessarily, I don't know that he's much less heavy of a puncher than Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. These guys haven't been getting knockouts in a long time, clean knockouts. You might overwhelm a guy who's exhausted. Uh, but I don't know that Cerrone has much less power in his hands. I know he has more power in his knees and kicks than these guys do in probably any of their body parts. So there is that. There's that Cerrone step knee where he can do serious damage to Gaethje's body, which was a big, big variable, a big factor in Poirier and Alvarez's wins over Gaethje. So I can absolutely see ways for Cerrone to win the fight. The last time Cerrone had fought a pressure fighter not named Tony Ferguson – uh, was Anthony Hernandez, and Hernandez actually came out looking pretty early on. Um, he looked somewhat like Justin Gaethje, just constant forward pressure, constant offense. And then at some point, Cerrone, who's a slow starter, even that, late in that first round, he started countering and doing damage every time his, uh, Hernandez walked forward. And I know Hernandez is no Gaethje. I get that. I, I get that Gaethje's a special fighter here who's more experienced. But I see ways for Cerrone to win the fight. But I can't ignore the fact that Cerrone doesn't do well against pressure fighters. Right. Um, it's really a matter of whose damage racks up more and worse. 
Obviously, Cerrone is the bigger guy here, but not by much. He's 6'1", to Gaethje's 5'11". Cerrone's got a two-inch reach advantage to match that. The biggest factor, though, Nick, even besides the pressure game of Gaethje, besides Cerrone's uh, body work, which can really give Gaethje some trouble, as we've seen in the past, the biggest factor is that Cerrone, Nick, he doesn't do well against southpaws. He is 5-9 and nine against southpaws, Nick. 14 of Gaethje's last 15 wins have come by knockout. I think he'll find the spot in those five rounds to overwhelm Cerrone enough. Um, I think that he's going to take damage, and I think he's going to be able to persevere and wait through it more so than Hernandez, who's less of a natural pressure fighter. I'm giving Gaethje the edge here, but it's not as quite as much as the odds suggest. I think that uh, there's pathways for Cerrone to win, but man, he's got a seriously bad losing record against pressure fighters, and he's got a bad losing record, even worse, against southpaws. So I'm going yeah, with Gaethje I- here. I can respect that. I think I agree with you. There's certainly ways for Cerrone to win. I'm just I just believe that this fight's going to end up looking like the Till fight, where Cerrone. I just think Cerrone's coming back too quick. Often comes back too quickly after a after a really really violent fight, and I think he's coming back a little too soon. And Gagey's had a nice rest. He took no damage in his last fight against James Vick, and I just. I think he's going to bring the thunder and that his power is going to spook Cerrone. Yeah, I, I can I can certainly see it. Uh, but I do have to say again, you've got to be six feet or above to beat Donald Cerrone. Robbie Lawler might be the only exception to that. And if you ask me, that guy's six feet, not 5'11". Um, I know Gage is 5'11". Rafael Dos Anjos did it twice. That dude oh, is yeah. like five nine on a good day. Yeah, well, well, true, but, it, you know, I just feel like that was a different version of Cerrone. That's fair. And, and there's, like, the WEC Cerrone. There's a Cerrone in the first half of his UFC career. Uh, that's probably the second version of uh, the, the UFC Cerrone. And now we're in the third phase where he's cleaning up against these uh, th- these smaller guys. And you're right, that, that southpaw pressure of Dos Anjos got to him. And, and Dos Anjos is one of the rare exceptions to that. It's true. But Dos Anjos is way more technical and overall has more tools and is more dynamic, I think, than Justin Gaethje. Again, Yep. Serious ways for for Gaethje, uh, for for Cerrone to win the fight. I, I do have some concerns about the Cerrone's training situation. I know he's not with Greg Jackson's, and I don't think Greg Jackson's is anything all that special, to be honest. But he, you know, who's he, is he training with? Brandon Gibson? Did he have to replace some of those coaches? I, I think he's got a decent team, but I, but I do have some concerns about the strate- strategist behind him, uh, who's putting together the game plans against a guy like Gaethje. And I, I think game plan uh, going game plan heavy, especially with those body shots for Poirier and Alvarez, is exactly what worked for them. Um, and the fact that they were able to take a lot of Gaethje's damage. I don't know that Cerrone can. So I'm on the same page with you on this one, Nick. Next fight, we've got Glover Teixeira, the 29-7 and Brazilian fighting out of Connecticut, a veteran and former title contender against the uh, kind of always hovering around the top 10, top 15 in the light heavyweight division, Nikita Krylov at 26 and 6. An interesting fight. What do you think is going to go down? It is basically a kill-or-be-killed fight. Like, if this one goes to decision, I will be shocked. I don't know that Nikita Krylov has ever been to decision, as a matter of fact. And Glover Teixeira is a finisher through and through. Um, He is, you know, generally a finisher-be-finished kind of guy. So Glover has been fighting guys like Carl Robertson, super dangerous standing up, who has somewhat of a lacking ground game, fighting Ian Kutelaba, super dangerous guy, who's lacking somewhat in the ground game department. He lost to Corey Anderson, who was able to avoid Teixeira's takedowns. 
and and institute a, a long jab and keep him at range, kind of like uh, Alexander Gustafsson did a couple of years ago. But it does take, I think, a special kind of fighter to beat him. Question is, is Nikita special? He is special in his own ways, right? But is he a world beater? I don't know. Um, he's a fucking killer in the first round, Nick. But that's because he unloads completely in the first round and gives everything in that first round to finish the fight. And if he doesn't finish after throwing about 100 super hard strikes and going for every submission known to man, then he's exhausted by the time round two starts. That's how Jan Blackowitz was able to beat him. That's how Misha Serkinov was able to beat him, if I remember correctly. It was a wild few moments at first before Serkinov was able to get on top and submit him late in the first round. I favor Teixeira's overhand right uh, into the takedown. I, I do think, you know, a few minutes of standing in this fight, he very well could get finished. Nikita is a serious, serious finisher, and he's ultra dangerous. I'm going to favor. Uh, I'm going to favor the guy that's been there, done that against these kinds of prospects. I have exactly the same pick. I have a Glover Teixeira, but I I won't be surprised if in the first 90 seconds he gets stopped. Um, yeah. I think he's, I'm counting on him having just enough durability and savvy left, but I do not, uh, I don't do, I don't say that with extreme confidence. Yeah, I, I hear that. Um, next up, Nick, we've got a heavyweight bout between Todd Duffy, who's kind of the forever <laughs> prospect that never really comes through against any legitimate opponents, any, any top level names going up against Jeff Hughes, who, you know, is largely untested, lost his UFC debut. And, 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 you know, I believe he's a training partner of Stipe Miocic, whereas Todd Duffy, I believe, still trains with the crew in Las Vegas, I assume, in Extreme Couture. I haven't heard otherwise since. Uh, what are your thoughts on this heavyweight matchup, Nick? I'm not sure the third one down. Yeah, I, it's, it's weird. This is a strange card placement, in my opinion. But um, I get that Duffy probably still looks like a, you know, a physical freak and people like their heavyweight bouts, I suppose. Um, I believe that Jeff Hughes' loss in his UFC debut was a split decision. I may have to double-check that uh, coming in at 10-2. and two. For me, with this fight, it's just impossible to pick Todd Duffy because we have no idea what we're getting. Um, we've seen Hughes fight uh, recently, and he didn't, look, he didn't look terrible in there. And it was four years ago that Duffy lost in the first round to Frank Mir. Um, you know, and almost five years ago that he... Uh, he knocked down Anthony Hamilton, uh, if you remember that name, with a shot. So yeah. it's uh, it's just there's there's no way that we know enough about um, what Todd Duffy is like these days. Um, and if he's any even and if and if he's even the best Todd Duffy that we've seen, I'm still not certain that I'm going to pick him against Jeff Hughes. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Hughes to uh, end this fight by TKO in the third. Yeah, Todd Duffy generally disposes of guys like, like Neil Grove, Phil DeFries, Phil DeFries, Anthony Hamilton in the first round by knockout, literally in the first few seconds often enough. But guys like uh, Alistair O'Brien and Frank Mir, those kind of aging veterans, he wasn't able to pull it off. And I think a lot of it is mental for him. He's got a reputation for being a murderer in the gym against the very top flight competition. And maybe that's not the case anymore, but he certainly had this reputation a few years ago. I should say probably 10 years ago when he debuted in the UFC. Uh yeah, and saying that he's been out for four years, Nick, I'm not sure what he's doing in the off time, how he's earning a living. Clearly, he's not a full-time fighter by any means. Um, and it seems like after every loss is when he just takes, like, a year off. Um, although he did kind of rush back in after that Alistair Overeem uh, loss. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick Jeff Lights out Hughes here. He trains with C.P. Miocic, number one heavyweight, best heavyweight of all time, uh, in my opinion. 
He is 10-2 overall, but he did lose to a pretty legit prospect, in my opinion, Amori Smith, a guy that he actually beat earlier in his career. Uh, in his UFC debut, he looked kind of rusty in that first round and then seemingly took over in the second and third. Um, I think I actually favored Hughes in that decision. I'm going to give Hughes the edge here. I think that if Todd Duffy's not able to get a first-round knockout and nothing about Hughes says that he should be able to, um, he's going to get dragged into the mud, in, into the long-range two-and-a-half, three-round fight in which he's going to lose a decision if he has enough heart to last that long. So we've got a, we're three for three with the same pick so far. Yep. Uh, coming in next, we've got Antonio Carlos Jr., the 10-3 and fighter out of Brazil against Uriah Hall, uh, who I believe still fights out of New York um, at 14-9. This, for me, is a fight between two guys who consistently snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, you know, more of a, a case for Hall than just for Antonio Carlos Jr., but a, t- a tough one. What do you? Uh, what, how do you see this playing out, Stan? So... Antonio Carlos Jr. doesn't really have very much heart, and he doesn't have a great gas tank. He, like the last fight we were talking about, um, he like Todd Duffy, he kind of needs to finish in the first round, it seems like, or he probably won't do too well. Um, most of his victories are in the first round, most of his recent victories, and guys like Daniel Kelly and Ian Heinisch, uh, when they take him late into the fight, he starts to kind of fall apart and get exhausted. Uriah Hall is not really the type of guy that gets submitted in the first round by by anybody. Um, right. I think Antonio Carlos Jr. can certainly get those takedowns early in the fight. But can he last? Can he keep doing that in the second and third? Can Uriah Faber get another third-round knockout after getting dominated until then? He's done this a couple of times now. Um, I'm going to give the edge to Antonio Carlos Jr., but I could easily see Hall getting a third round knockout here when Antonio Carlos is exhausted. I don't see Car- I don't see I don't see Antonio Carlos necessarily finishing in that first round like he does with some of the lower level opponents. Although Jack Marshman is one of his first round finishes, to be fair. Um, I'm giving the edge to Antonio Carlos Jr., but I have a feeling I'll regret this one. What do you think? I hope so because this is the first one we're going to have a difference of opinion. Um, I'm going to pick I'm going to pick Uriah Hall. I just I think that it's a, a case of. Ju- the moment in the fight where Antonio Carlos Jr. starts to fade and starts to, you know, kind of backpedal um, and stall is the moment that Uriah Hall comes to life. Um, I can see, I think Hall's going to land some nasty, uh, nasty body kicks and straight punches and will finish the fight uh, either in the second or third round. Yeah, I wouldn't. And I'll be surprised if Hall's jab proves to be too much for Antonio Carl Jr., who's much slower than Hall. But again, it's those takedowns that I think maybe he can avoid taking a whole lot of damage and keep getting takedowns in the first two rounds and maybe survive the third. But you very well could be right. Your eye Hall's made a signature of getting those third-round knockouts after losing the first two. Wouldn't be surprised if that happens here. Next up, uh, we've got Misha Serkinov going up against kind of a young prospect, largely unproven, has fought a couple of mediocre veterans in Jim the Brute Crute. Jim Crute's 23 years old, 6'2", uh, fighting out of Australia. Going up here against Mr. Serkinov was 32, 6'3". Got an inch height advantage and a three-inch reach advantage, Nick, over Jim Crute. 10-0 for Jim Crute. He's still undefeated. 14-5 for Mr. Serkinov. What are your thoughts on the bat? I think this is, again, this is, there's like I mentioned, there are many tricky fights to pick here. Um I have a feeling that coming off of the very, very quick loss to Johnny Walker that um, Serkinov is going to be a little bit hesitant 
going into this fight, and I think that's the last thing he should be against the brute crude. I think I think Jimmy Crute's uh, winning ways are going to continue, and that he's going to do damage early and score a fairly quick knockout. Yeah, it does seem like Misha Serkinov often gets knocked out in that first round. His chin is not a whole lot to brag about. Skill wise, he's overall pretty solid. Even standing yeah. up, you know, he's kind of known for being a top position, uh, a top position, excellent grappler. On his back, he's not so good, Nick. So yeah, I, I agree with you about Jim Crute. I think throughout those three rounds, he's going to get taken down because he. Fairly seems to be fairly easy to take down, but he's got a very good ground game. At the very least, he should be good off, uh, you know, surviving off of his back at the very least, uh, taking minimal damage of any. And he's good at getting those turnovers. He's good at getting back to his feet eventually. And I think he's going to be able to do that enough uh, to clip Misha Serkinov with the right hand at some point in this bout. Um, I am in agreement with you on this one. Next up, we've got a very closely matched heavyweight fight between Augusto Sakai and Martin Taburo. Augusto Sakai is 13 and 1. Chibura is 17 and 5, number 21 against number 16. Um, it's been a bit of a rough go for Tabura lately. He looked good against Shamil Abdurahimov until he got TKO'd in that second round. He beat up Stefan Struve before that, and he got some top, top flight opponents in Derek Lewis and Verdun before that, Nick. Going up against Sakai, who's coming off of a very controversial win over Andre Arlovsky, and then a win over the much more mediocre Chase Sherman. Although he's got an overall solid record, he did lose to Czech Congo. I believe that's his only loss in his career. I thought that he deserved the loss against Arlovsky. I remember thinking Arlovsky got jobbed in that decision. Yeah, I think a lot of people did. This is one of those coin flipper fights. I, agree. I think I, I, we've seen more. We've seen uh, Tibera against much tougher competition. And we've seen him tough it out against them for a lot of it. I remember him, you know, I think he was ahead in the Derek Lewis fight, if I recall, um, until he, you know, until he wasn't. Uh, he's, a t- he's a tough dude. He can take some real, um, you know, he, oh, he was ahead. He did. He was doing all right. In the, well, in the Verdum fight, he was doing OK. Um, but he's he's fought certainly a different level of competition than Sakai. But Sakai, you know, it at 28 how old is uh let me take a look and see how he's 33 is yeah Yeah. he's he's on the young side but tibura is younger right tibura i'm I'm sorry sakai's younger um this one's tricky my instinct is to go with uh tibura only based on what i've seen but that doesn't mean that you know like sakai could be surging a bit um, and peaking, whereas Tybura is probably, we've probably seen the best that we're going to get from him. I really think this fight could go either way. Um, but I'm going to pick, uh, I'm going to pick Tybura. Yeah. Sakai, I, I feel like he's a pretty skilled guy. He doesn't look very in shape, but I do feel like he's got good skill. He just kind of doesn't really let it go. He's not busy enough for my taste. And I think that's to account for the controversial victory of Arlovsky and the loss to Czech Congo. Um, before that, he's beaten a bunch of fairly mediocre heavyweights, although all of them with winning records, right? The combined records of his opponent would be pretty impressive if I did the math here, Nick. Um, yeah, Martin Tiboros had a rough go, but it's truly against top-level competition. And uh, both with Derek Lewis and Shamil Abdurahimov, he was doing well, and then he got just out of nowhere clipped and knocked out. Um, for Bruce Verdum, he toughed out a decision, and I think Verdum had to get takedowns because otherwise he was having trouble against the fellow Backwell and Tabara. I'm going to, I'm going to give the edge to Sakai. Um, I think 
I don't know how confident he is following that Arlovsky win, but he is coming off of a win. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let his momentum ride. I actually was a believer in him before that Arlovsky fight, to be honest with you. So I'm going to give him the edge here uh, over the Tybora, who's had a bit of a rougher go of late. Next That's up, fair. Next up, Nick, we've got a Cole Smith, who's 7-0, and going up against Miles Johns, 9-0. and A couple of undefeated prospects here. Cole Smith already has a UFC victory. Uh, not exactly something that would blow you out of the water. Uh, not very impressive over Mitch Gagnon. Kind of a back-and-forth fight. He got rocked pretty badly by Mitch, who's known more as a grappler. But he was able to defend takedowns fairly well. Going up against a, a pretty respected wrestler, Miles Johns. I don't know if he has a wrestling background, but he's got an explosive double leg and a heavy right hand. Um, who do you favor in this one, Nick? Yeah, I don't know these guys super well, but based on the research I've done at uh, at bantamweight, I like Michael Johns in this fight. Yeah, um, I I also like I genuinely think this is the biggest coin flip of a fight on the card. I think Johns is a bit of a favorite. Um, I'm gonna give it to Smith. It'll it'll give us more disparity. Smith is taller, and he was able to defend takedowns, so maybe he maybe he'd be able to do that. I just feel like his output is not dangerous enough, which concerns me. Um, and he kind of spent too much time up against that fence. And if Miles Johns can't get the takedown, he'll probably just hold him there. Uh, I'll go with Cole Smith. So Marvin Vittori, the 13 and three Italian, taking on Andrew Sanchez, the 11 and four American. Uh, Vittori, best known for having an extremely competitive fight with Israel Adesanya not too long ago, went to a split decision. Some uh, some of the pundits online actually gave Vittori the fight. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, Andrew Sanchez is quite a bit more busy, about 25% busier than Marvin Vittori. Marvin Vittori is known for those takedowns, but actually El Derte Sanchez is the wrestler with the wrestling pedigree. Trains, I believe, with Faraz Zahabi. I, I do think Vittori is a talented guy, and I actually think he took this fight on relatively short notice, something like a five, five or six weeks notice, even though Sanchez had three months to prepare, and it's in Sanchez's hometown. I feel like a lot of things are in Sanchez's favor here, but Vittori has been looking pretty good and a fairly impressive victory over like a mediocre Cesar Ferreira, who's clearly past his prime. I guess I'll go with Vittori, but I think the odds are way off here, and I'm going to invest some money into Sanchez. What do you think, Nick? Interesting. Well, you well, in picking Vittori, you started making me shift my pick to Sanchez. So, <laughs> um, you were, I was very surprised with where you went there based on how your argument was shaping up. But I'm also going to pick Vittori. Yeah, one to of the honest, time yeah, I'll pick one of my I'll pick one of my countrymen. Well, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah, to be honest with you, I uh, as I was saying this out loud to myself just now, uh, as I was saying it on the cast, I was thinking to myself, "Holy shit, there's really a lot in his favor here." But I do think Vittori's. I don't know. He's I don't know. I, I this I may be off on this one. I need to watch a little bit more tape. There's a good chance I'm going to change my pick on this one later in the week, uh, but we will see how that shakes out. We've got Brad Katona, who's 8-1, uh, going up in a bantamweight matchup against Hunter Azur. Brad Katona, who was undefeated uh, recent, until recently. He's uh, an Ultimate Fighter winner. Lost to uh, Merab Devashvili, who trains out of Sarah Longo, uh, just a brooding wrestler. Uh, he's going up against another brooding wrestler here, uh, but this one trains out of the MMA lab. Uh, he is undefeated, which is solid, and his opponents have a pretty solid overall record, but he hasn't fought uh, those higher-level guys yet. Katona has at least lost to one. Uh, what are your thoughts on the matchup? Yeah, I'm going with uh, – I've got Katona here. I think he ran uh, – I had picked him in that fight, the fight that he lost against Mirab Devalish. Uh, Devashvili. Yeah, Um And a lot of pundits had picked him. 
and we we got kind of ate our words on that one. But I think I think this is his this is his bout to lose. I think he just ran into a more highly touted prospect from a you know really remarkable camp. Um, so I think he's gonna I think he's gonna get the win over Hunter Azure, who's kind of has a porn star name to be frank. Yeah, I don't disagree. Rakatona is a talented guy. I actually picked Devalshvili in that one. I, I would have a really hard time with that pick. Uh, and I didn't expect it to be dominant like it was at all. I expected Bakatona to get up off the, off his back. That's concerning, right? Hunter Azor has a pretty serious wrestling pedigree, I think from Montana. Um, and he should be able to take Katona down. Question is, can he hold him down? He's pretty explosive and hits very hard with that right hand. Katona's busy uh, standing up, but he doesn't. He doesn't really spark anyone with his with his hands and legs, right? He's not. He's probably not going to hurt you. Um, I'm going to go with Katona as well because Azura is making his USC debut and it's in Katona's you know home country. But I wouldn't be shocked if Azura is able to get some takedowns to at least pull out a, a round, possibly a round and a half. Uh, Chad, uh, next up, Nick, go ahead. Yeah, we got Chad Skelly, the 17 and four American, 48 featherweight, 48 featherweight. Uh, 48th ranked featherweight in the world against Jordan Griffin, the 17 and six uh, American, um, ranked much lower, but I believe favored in the odds against uh, Chaz Skelly, who's been none too impressive uh, in his last uh, his last couple UFC bouts, in my in my estimation. Um, his biggest victory is probably a win over over Maximo Blanco. So I think uh, I think Jordan I think Jordan Griffin is um, you know he's got one. Uh, recent uh, loss, one loss in the last three years to Dan Iga, who's a, you know, Dan Iga's pretty, is pretty serious dude. Um, he's on a bit of a streak. He's on a four-fight win streak himself. And honestly, he's uh, only got, he, Iga only has one loss since uh, in the last uh, three and a half years. Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Griffin. I don't think Chaz Kelly's been very impressive in his last several bouts. And I like the way that I like the way that Griffin looks, and he's really only lost to one uh, pretty top-ranked guy. Yeah, Jordan Griffin's takedown defense sucks, and that's really concerning. Even if his opponent's tired and he's a decent wrestler, Jordan Griffin, when he's fresh, he can get taken down. It's very concerning against Chaz Skelly. Jordan Griffin does tend to get turnovers. Uh, he tends to find weird submissions, whether he finishes with them or not. He threatens with them. I'll agree with you here. It's a complete pick him for me. Um, I'm going to go with Griffin, but I do think there's a lot of variables on Skelly's side. It's just Skelly's on a skid, man. And I like the guy a lot, both his personality and his fighting style is pretty exciting, but he is two and three in his last few fights and, you know, losing to Darren Elkins, Jason Knight, and Bobby Muffet, all grapplers. Jordan Griffin's predominantly a good grappler with pretty, pretty good snap in his punches too. Um, I know, like, I, I think Chad Skelly, when he's the better wrestler, he already loses. No fucking, I'm going with Chas Kelly, goddammit. Chas Kelly, Nick. Change my pick on the fly. Okay, you can do that. Thanks. Um, Louis Smoke no. going up against, <laughs> uh, who is 15 and 6, going up against Ryan McDonald, who is 10 and 1. McDonald not having the best UFC debut, but he fought a pretty serious opponent in Chris Gutierrez, who's shown himself to be very legit since then. What are your thoughts on the matchup, man? This is a weird one. Uh, you know, Smolka had a run where he lost like four fights in a year, and then he followed it up with a run where he won four fights in a year, and then he lost his last uh, his last time out uh, against Matt Schnell. Um, Ryan McDonald is not um, nearly as experienced against top level competition. Um, still fairly, he's ten and one. Still fairly young in his career, and lost his last bout 
to Chris Gutierrez, which is nothing to you know be ashamed of. I just think that um, I don't think Smolka is going to go on a, a long losing streak again. I think this is. Uh, they say that he's got his his act together now. I know he had some. He was going through some serious stuff. It sounded like, yeah, uh, yeah. and I think um, I think it's going to be a a long night in Vancouver for Ryan McDonald. Yeah, I mean Ryan McDonald has a shot because uh, Smoker can get out athleted, and Ryan McDonald's a decent athlete from what I remember. Um, but yeah, Manchinell's something special in my opinion. I think technique wise, he's out of this world. And Sue Madarji, who Smoke has a win over right before that, has since Andre Sukumtat in, in his last bout. So, and that was a dominant win for Louis Smoker, where he got those takedowns and was able to submit him in that second round. I'm going to give Smoker the edge here as well. I, I think he's good at taking out these prospects, these guys that are on their way to the UFC or just entering the UFC. I think it's the, those kind of uh, one rung higher guys that he has trouble against, especially if there's an athletic discrepancy there. In agreement with you on this one, Nick, going with Smoker. So what do you think uh, the opening bout? We've got the Canadian, the hometown fighter. Kyle Propolik uh, is going up against Austin Hubbard via 10-3 and American. It's at 155. Propolik has previously fought at welterweight. Uh, what do you think? Uh, how do you see this playing out? Austin Hubbard, um, he lost to Davi Ramos in his UFC debut. And, you know, it's not really much to be ashamed of. We also know Ramos is not a top-flight guy anyway. He trains with the Elevation Fight Team, and that's probably the main reason I'm going to give him the edge over... Kyle Propelic, who actually looked pretty good against Nordin Taleb. He came into the UFC on short notice against a huge 170-pounder, and this guy is a lightweight Nick. So he, he was basically fighting probably 20 uh, 20-pound discrepancy, and you could see it when you watched that fight. And he hung tough, and he was doing well enough. So he's a really skilled guy. Uh, has a win over Cody Feister in his fight before that. Um, but I guess just because of the team advantage, just because uh, Austin Humbert should have the cardio edge training uh, kind of at elevation in Colorado with elevation fight team and, and you know, some really high-level training partners there, I'm going to give him the edge. But I wouldn't be surprised if the hometown guy picks it up with the crowd's help. Yeah, this is a really, this is a really, really tough one. Um, in my earlier picks, I had when I was uh, doing everything in my prep for this, I picked Hubbard. I think I'm gonna stick with it. Although, putting a Canadian fighter in the first bout of the night, I sometimes wonder if the UFC knows something that we don't. Uh, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Hubbard here. Yeah, uh, we're on the same page on that one. I do think we have just a couple of picks where we differ. Uh, Nick, not- yeah, Griff, uh, Griffin Skelly. Um, I thought you were going to pick Andrew Sanchez, but then you didn't. I might. Uh, Sakai, Sakai Tabura and then uh, Uriah Hall, Antonio Carlos Jr. You know what? Three fights ain't bad, Nick. We can make something out of that. That could be interesting. I like it. Uh, also, again, there's there's a chance that I may change my pick to Andrew Sanchez, who I think in a few departments has the potential skill edge, and he's the Canadian fighter. Who well, tra- you know what? I, I, I made, first of all, he's American. And second, um, I may change my... Uh, my pick to Andrew Sanchez also. So how about that? Fair enough. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> I, I have no issue with us. Uh, Why are you making being... him Canadian? Well, because he, I'm sorry, you're right. He trains in Canada. In other words, he didn't have to travel very far for this fight from his training camp is what I mean. He trains with Faraz Sahabi, Nick. Got that inside scoop, motherfucker. He's fighting out of Missouri. They got tri- They got. They got TriStar Missouri now? <laughs> See, I, I know more. I, I, I'm glad you said that, Nick, because I know more than uh, Tapology does, and I'm kind of proud of that. Man. You. Your Stanology. I, um, I, I fights better than most experts, and I know more than Tapology. Nick, I might have more information for you than Wikipedia. It's goddamn self. We know that his daughter will not lack for self-confidence. 
I'm definitely not lacking in self-confidence, Nick. Or maybe it's actually my insecurities that are making me talk like a douchebag. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. It's 7-0. and oh. You don't have a lot. Or se- like up 7 on me. You don't have a lot to be insecure about. All right. Let's talk about um, the habit that will get you killed. Gambling. Yeah. We're, we're going to take a quick break. Come back and talk about the betting recommendations for the next card. We'll be right back. And we are back to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Nick, we're going to talk about, like you said, that habit that's going to get you killed. I don't know about you, but my bookie is a nice guy. It's it's purely over the internet. We don't really have to talk much, but I have to, like, collect money through shady ways, like Bitcoins and shit. Well, everything's good until you're behind. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been I've been a hood, motherfucker. Now, I did have that Weili Zhang Andrade card. I lost $105 on that one. I'm not going to list out all of the uh, bets that I made for that one. I will quickly talk about UFC 242, where I had a pretty good night, 54% return on investment on that one. I put up $275 and ended up winning $148. I placed bets on Poirier, lost 30 on that one. Ramos, just because I thought the odds were a little skewed on that one. Uh, Everything else was a victory for me. Uh, Paul Felder came through. Ferreira came through. uh, Salikov came through. Don Madge came through for me, and I placed a $50 bet on him. We also had uh, a parlay with Taisumov and Mohamed. Taisumov ended up drawing, which means Mohamed became a straight bet of $50, and I only netted $14 since he was a huge favorite. And then I also put up uh, $50 on the parlay of Curtis Blades and Azatar, which actually gave me pretty good odds of minus 115. I won $41 on that one. A total of $148 in profits, 105 bucks in losses the week before. So I, I'm still about 45 bucks up in the last couple of weeks. Uh, still, I believe at this point, Nick, I'm 12 and two when it comes to profit versus losses uh, in the last 14 events. Pretty good, pretty good. I'm going to start throwing some money on top of your money. You should, motherfucker. Now, tell, we'll play, we'll jinx you. Uh, tell me, please, Nick, what do you got for this card? On the Gagey Cowboy, you. UFC on ESPN plus 16 bets. Uh, you want to hear my crazy my crazy parlay? Please. So the crazy parlay I've got is you got your parlay calculator open because I want to see oh, what I'm, I'm what. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up right the fuck now, Nick. Get that open. I'm gonna do a triple parlay. Go on. I got Marcin Tabura at minus 110. Jimmy Crute at minus 115. And Uriah Hall at plus 155. At $50, how much money is that going to make me? Well, Nick, first of all, you're going to get uh, plus 810 odds on that, Nick. A bet of $50 will get you $405 if all those three men come through, Nick. <laughs> you got a big win on this one. That's, uh, that's wild. The only other thing I'm going to do is a, a, straight bet of, uh, a straight bet of $75 on Glover Teixeira. I like it. I, I support that bet, Nick. Um, I'm going to recommend a $50 bet on Justin Gaethje at minus 190 being the southpaw pressure fighter. I expect them to do good things against Cerrone, even though there are clearly ways for Cerrone to win. I recommend $40 on Teixeira. Maybe I should put more on him, honestly, but uh, Krilov is a killer himself, so it, it's a little bit on the risky side. Plus 100 Teixeira, 40 bucks bet, $40 to win. Not a bad deal. Jeff Hughes, I believe it's Jeff, uh, Hughes over Duffy, plus 120 odds, $30 on him, Nick. Uriah Hall at plus 175. Not a big believer, but I do believe he has a shot. Ten bucks, seventeen fifty to win if that worm works out. And then we've got Jim Crute 
at minus 115, I recommend 35 bucks on him over Serkinov. I think at some point he's going to find that chin. Takai, I recommend 50 bucks on him at minus 105. I was a believer in him before the Arlovsky fight, and Tybura's on a bit of a losing streak. I do actually think it's a it's a closely matched fight, but I'm willing to wager 50 bucks on Sakai in that one, given the momentum. Uh, Andrew Sanchez, a plus 250, 10 bucks on him. I could actually end up changing that to 20 bucks. I'm a believer in the guy, maybe even more, once I watch a little bit more tape. But but I think the odds are very much lopsided in this one. It should be a pick up. Yeah, those odds those are, they are they are pretty lopsided. Agreed, man. Uh, Brad Katona, minus 165, $50 uh, on him, Nick. You know, over the over the younger guy, I'm concerned with his takedown defense, but I think he should be able to take get up and outbusy him and outwork him and exhaust him. Uh, Austin Hubbard at minus 145, 35 bucks on him. Even though his opponent is a good fighter and he's fairly tough, I like Hubbard's training camp, uh, training with Elevation Fight Team, giving him the edge there. A parlay of Augusto Sakai at minus 105 and Justin Gaethje at minus 190 is my next recommendation. It gives you plus 198 odds, Nick, and that sounds awesome to me. I put 100 bucks on the Sakai Gaethje parlay that'll be it for me for this one nick 12 and 2 in the last 14 events i expect to be 13 and 2 after this one we'll see what happens what are your thoughts about this nate diaz matchup against game bread mosfidal i think it's awesome i don't know what's going to happen yeah man that could go either way both of these guys like used to be considered kind of high level journeymen but they're fucking really hitting a stride uh nate diaz being a star now and and Masvidal really earning that star mark, man. Just spectacular knockouts, saying the right things at the right time, throwing up uh, a KFC combo when necessary. Just been doing all the right things, man. And Nate Diaz just needs to be exposed to the mainstream audience, given his personality and fighting style. That should be fucking exciting, man. Do, do you favor anyone early on here? I really see it as a pick And part of me is like, well, more Mas- Masvidal's got better takedowns and Diaz has better jiu-jitsu. So... I really don't know. Masvidal can't hang around and pick his shots too much because he'll get pieced up. So my instinct, my instinct right now is that Diaz's volume is trouble. I, I'm just real. I, I'm real curious to see what happens if the fight hits the ground. I have a feeling that that Diaz's volume may result in Masvidal clinching and maybe trying to, to muscle or trip. Um, Diaz, I just don't know what happens then because he, he's really good on the ground, but Nate's got, you know, Nate's got all kinds of creative stuff. So I really think that fight's a pick I guess if you put a gun to my head, I would say Diaz, but it's close. That's a goddamn good breakdown, Nick. Did you, you watch so? on this no. shit? Man, that was good. Fucking ain't Nick. <laughs> Bring that motherfucking heat. Love it. I'm really excited. It's going to be a great card. I'm going to. I'm going to make some calls and see if I can't get our asses in the seats for that. Wait, you can make calls, Nick? You've got those kind of – you can make calls? Come on, bro. I didn't know you could make calls. I would ask you to make calls way earlier. Yeah, I just tell, I just tell people I know you. Oh, well, I feel like that will get you <laughs> That might actually get you kicked out of a lot of us. <laughs> Manhattan, Nick. Nice. Well, what do we got? What do we got after this card? What's after this one? We've got UFC Fight Night 159. Um, Yari Rodriguez versus Jeremy Stevens, Carlos Farza, Alexa Grosso, Brandon Moreno, Oscar uh, Alayev, uh, Marion Renault, Irina Aldana. A couple of, you know, decent fights. Nothing to really write home about. Um, looks like a couple of prospects. Angela Hills on the card. A couple of guys that, you know, lose firefights and Nelson and Polar Reyes. That'll be exciting and last about a round and a half. Jeremy Stevens versus Yari Rodriguez. That's a fucking fight, Dick. And Alexa Grosso, a serious prospect at, at 115 going up against the kind of Serious, awesome. legit, Carlos Barza veteran. Those top couple of fights are pretty legit. 
but uh, outside of that, man, it's uh, it's not the best card in the world. That's uh no, it's not. But I'm, I mean, Askar Skorov versus Moreno, like, there's some, yeah, there's some fighters I dig on that card. Man, Angie Hill is busy this year. I like her. Uh, I like her staying busy. I actually said, don't wow. know anything about her opponent. On the prelims, so Sajara Eubanks, Beth Cahaya. They're making Eubanks move up to 135. Wow. I don't even see that talk about, listed. Talk about getting punished. Number oh, two fight. Number two fight on the card. Yeah, I mean, uh, Eubanks didn't look good in her last fight against the prospect, and Beth Cahaya just overall sucks. So that should be <laughs> <laughs> that, that should be interesting. Also, we've got Venetius Marrero and Paul Craig, too. Like, they're basically matching up. Like, any two fighters that have similar positions in the division have similar styles. They're going to get matched up here. Paul Craig and Venetius Marrero, these are two submission artists who just get out-fucking-just out-athleted by much more athletic men. I wonder how that fight will go. Um, and then we got Sergio Pettis on the card, actually, going up against Tyson Nam, which... I, I don't know a whole lot about Tyson Nam off the top of my head. The superior Pettis brother, if you ask me, on the card is, is always a good time. Yeah, he's got an interesting career. I know his uh, Tyson Nam from uh, uh, from Strike other cards. Strike Force is Nick? I think he's, he's been around. He fought in, uh, he fought in X1, uh, Fight Nights Global, Triumph, uh, XFC. He's yeah. fought some names. I mean, he fought Cody uh, Bollinger. He's fought Marlon. Mar- he fought Marlon Moraes um, in World Series fighting too. He fought Eduardo Dantas. He's a you know he's a he's a bad. Yeah, remember when uh, Marlon Moraes and Justin Gaethje would just get like these prospects served to them for championship fights, even though the prospects have never fought outside of like a tiny village in Brazil. Yeah. Good times. Good times. And then they like hit the water and just be like, ah, shit, be serious when you're going against real opponents. Uh, but just the case is coming through and he's been lending that out in the settings. But Nick, another good one in the books. Um, yeah, we're going to do it again next week, man. Uh, I am too. Uh, it, it's good to be seven. I'm going to lose a couple of events, but I'm still good. 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 I'